Hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today. How many of you finished your Christmas shopping? Okay, how many of you haven't? Okay, the second group hates the first group, right? Okay, well, um, we're in this message series entitled uh, King of Hope. And the idea behind the message series is Jesus did not just come as a little baby in a manger and that wonderful story, but there was more to the story. You remember when the wise men came, they were looking for the king. They had seen his star in the east. And of course, they went first to Herod's palace because if a king is going to be born, he's going to be born in a palace, not in a barn. And do you remember what they asked Herod? They asked Herod this, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. Jesus comes not just as a baby in the manger, he comes as a king. He comes as the king of hope, a different kind of king, a king not just to rule and reign, although he will and he does, but he also comes as a king to bring hope to hopeless people. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. Now last week, in the first part of Psalm 18, which this series is based on, we talked about how David cried out to the Lord. And the main idea was you cry out to the God who can really help you. And crying out involves knowing who God really is, being real about how you really feel, and knowing that God hears you. So today we're gonna to plunge deeper into Psalm 18. If you have a Bible, go ahead and begin turning to Psalm 18. And, and we're gonna be asking the question, what happens when God hears you? What happens when God hears you? Sometimes people wonder, does God really hear me? We pray, nothing seems to happen. We wonder if he's listening. But as we read this psalm, we're going to discover four responses God has to our cries for help and our cries for hope. And we're going to find out why God responds the way he responds. Now, the background of this psalm, this was sung by David toward the end of his life. And David was looking back and seeing all the times when he felt hopeless and God showed up and he had hope. And early Christians looked at this psalm and they saw, hey, this isn't just about how God saved David. This is also about how Jesus saves us. So keep in mind, when we talk about this psalm, we're talking both about David, but we're also talking about us and Jesus. So what do we learn? First thing we learn uh, when God hears the cries of his people is that God reacts. God reacts. What happens when God hears your cry? Uh, right now, I've got a little issue with an insurance company. Um, uh, this is not my personal insurance. It's for the ranch. And uh, I need this insurance company to send me a simple piece of information. I've called them four times for this information. Four, four times for this information. And have I gotten the information yet? How did you know? No, I haven't gotten the information yet, and it's driving me crazy because I need this information to cancel another insurance policy. And it's frustrating. Do you ever feel frustrated when somebody doesn't respond to you? Do you ever feel frustrated when it feels like you keep asking for help and, and nobody answers? And, and maybe we wonder, hey, if I cry out, if I pray, is God doing anything? Listen to what happens 
when David cries out. This starts in verse seven of Psalm 18. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came out of his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. What happens when God hears the cries of his people? All creation shakes because God is angry. And you say, I don't know if I'm comfortable with the whole idea of God being angry. Pay close attention. God is angry, not just for the sake of being angry, he's angry because something is happening to his people. This is anger that proceeds out of a deep and profound love that God has for his people. Can you wrap your mind around this thought? Can you imagine God getting angry on your behalf? Now, if you're a mom, you can probably relate to this. You wanna see an angry mom? Attack one of her kids, right? What does God feel when one of his children are attacked? He gets angry. And, and, and it's a pretty vivid image, isn't it? Smoke rose from his nostrils. You heard about people breathing fire? <laughs> this is where it comes from. And, and consuming fire comes out of his mouth. God is having an emotional reaction. This is a reminder that God is an emotional being. He is not passionless. He is not disengaged. He's not checked out. He's not just seated on a throne going, oh, well, that's too bad. And when God sees you attacked, he has reaction. Now, God does not always react with anger. Sometimes God reacts with compassion. You remember when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, what did Jesus do? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept. Sometimes God's reaction, emotional reaction, is compassion. It is deep and profound compassion. So this is God reacting. Well, you say, but sometimes I don't feel like God is reacting. I don't feel like anything is happening. Just because you don't feel like anything happen, is happening doesn't mean that God is not reacting. Remember, God's people were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. 400 years. When do you think they started crying out to God? Year 400 or year one? And yet, it took God 400 years to respond to their cries. Why? God's timeline is not our timeline. And God's response to your prayers may not occur in your lifetime. That is why we need to heed the counsel of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, my favorite verse in the Bible. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. This requires the growth of spiritual character. 
It requires the growth of your soul to learn to wait on God, to remember what God has done in the past is the best predictor of what God will do in the future. And it may not happen on my timeline, and it may not happen in my lifetime, but God is still reacting to people attacking me. So the first thing that God does when he hears our cries, God reacts. Second thing that happens is God moves. I wonder how many times this happened in David's life. Maybe when he was in battle and all of a sudden an arrow goes by his face and misses him by that much. I wonder maybe if, if David was thinking about the time that he had to hide from Saul and God was moving, or maybe the time that he had to flee for his life because his son Absalom was rebelling against him, causing a civil war. God was moving constantly in David's life. Now here is this amazing description of how God moves. It's some of the most beautiful poetry in all of the Old Testament in verses nine through 13. He, that is God, parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. God makes an entrance. When I graduated from seminary, our speaker was former President Jimmy Carter. And when President Carter walked up onto the stage, do you know what we all did instinctively? We stood. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of saying, we understand this is a man worthy of respect. He'd been President of the United States. When God begins to move, when God begins to, to move, is your response respect? Now, I want you to see something very important. God making this entrance is not gentle, meek, or mild. I was in a gathering this week, and someone said, God always speaks in a still small voice and he moves in small ways. And the answer is, yes, sometimes God does move in small ways and sometimes God speaks in a still small voice. But sometimes God shows up like this, looks like this picture. You ever been in a storm like this? That's like asking, have you ever been to Florida? where the lightning is popping around you and there's no separation between the flash and the thunder, where the clouds are rolling in and you can see the sheets of rain and you feel the wind blowing at you. It is God showing up. The theological word for this is theophany. It means God shows up. That God is there, he is on the move, he is showing his presence. God coming in his power happens. Remember, it happened when God thundered from Mount Sinai to his people. It happened when he spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. It will happen again on the day of Armageddon. God thunders, and don't miss this. Which way is God moving? He's moving toward us. God is on the move toward you. 
He's not just showing up to get the glory. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise, and there's a scene in the movie where Tom uh, is challenged to a fight in a bar, and um, he goes out into the street and he says to the guys, you really want to do this? And of course, it's a Tom Cruise moment, so there's five on one, and, and then Tom kind of, you know, just totally destroys, boom, bang, bang. Don't I look like Tom Cruise when I do that? And, and you know, now you got three guys that are laying on the ground and they're kind of bloody and they're going, oh. And the other, he, the other looks at the other two and he says, you want this? And the other two take off and run, right? <laughs> and then Tom just sits there looking totally cool Tom Cruise. God is not like Tom Cruise. And by the way, Tom Cruise is not God no matter what some of you think. Here's the thing, when God shows up and he is on the move, he is coming not just for the fight, he is coming for you. He's moving in your direction. He's coming with all his power for you. Don't you remember that's part of the Christmas story? One of the names we call Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The God, God is on the move toward us. So what, what have we learned so far? When God hears the cries of his people, God reacts, he has an emotional reaction. That God begins to move, here's the third thing that happens, God shows up. Look at verses 14 and 15. He, that's his God, shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, that the blast of breath from your nostrils. That's pretty vivid, isn't it? You, you see what's happening? First of all, God is shooting these arrows. Now remember, in those days, arrows were precious ammunition. They were expensive to build or to buy. So you only used your arrow when you were certain of the shot. But God has an infinite supply of arrows. And when he begins to shoot his arrows at the enemy, what does the enemy do? He runs. Remember this, Satan is on the run from God more than Satan ever attacks God. Because God is showing up. And again, we have this picture of, of God's nostrils that there is such power, such breath coming out of them, that the sea is blown back. Don't, don't you remember when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, God had delivered them, and God caused this, this huge wind to lay bare the bottom of the Red Sea? This is how our God operates. When he breathes, oceans can move. And the sea is pushed back. You can see the foundation of the world God showing up makes a difference. And when you know this, when you trust this, you live life with less anxiety. You live life with less worry about the future. You don't feel as overwhelmed because you know your God is on the move. He is on the move for you. Now, there's something else here, an implicit warning. Don't be God's enemy. Don't be God's enemy because you lose. You lose. 
I hear people say sometimes how clever Satan is. And yes, Satan is clever. But he's not that smart. Because Satan has witnessed more history than you and I will ever comprehend. And has Satan ever seen God defeated? And yet Satan still tries to defeat God. Isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? What does that tell us? Don't be God's enemy. And if you're not gonna be God's enemy, be God's friend. Which means you are on his side, which means you have reached the point in your life where you say, you know God, I think I've really messed up my life and I can't fix it, so I'm not gonna keep trying to do this my way. I'm gonna give my life to you, forgive my sins. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm gonna be on your side. I need to learn your ways. I'm not gonna get it all right, but I want to follow you. Now, some of you are skeptical, I get it, and you're saying, well, Clay, yeah, this is all kind of good, it's in the Bible, but I look around, I just see the world getting worse and worse and worse and worse. That's because you're watching too much news. I mean, it's important to watch the news, but you can overdose on that. And you need to remember that one day, one day, it may not be in our lifetime, it might be, we don't know, but one day, remember, there will be that day when Jesus returns in all of his power. And you remember that old gospel song, behold he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call, lift your voice, it's the year of Jubilee. Behold out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. One day Jesus is coming and he will restore everything. He is the king of hope and he will return to bring hope to this broken, flawed world. So God reacts, God moves, God shows up, but now here comes the best part. The fourth thing that God does, God saves. God saves. See, it's one thing just to show up. It's even one thing to start entering in the battle but I want you to see how close and personal this is for David and why the early Christians looked at this and said, this is Jesus. Look, if you will, in verses 16 through the first part of verse 19, he, this is God, reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. God does all of this. He reacts, he moves, he shows up to save you. He grabs hold of you. This is a picture of a dipping vat. Right there. Um, when I was growing up, we had a dipping vat on the ranch. It is still used in Australia, South Africa, and in parts of South America. And what you do uh, is, uh, where, particularly where there are ticks, you plunge the cows into this dipping vat. They are, are covered with an insecticide and it kills the ticks. The ticks fall off. Uh, in my day, they used a mixture of diesel and insecticide. And that'll kill just about anything. 
And so you can see kind of how it works. Cow at the back is gonna be forced to jump in. Cows can swim, you may not know that. And they swim out and everything that just wants to destroy them, make them sick, that gets taken care of. Well, they were working cows one day and there was a newborn calf and newborn calves had to be dipped too. But this calf was a little weak and it went into the dipping vat and it couldn't quite swim very well. It was not very strong and it began to drown. My Uncle Dow, who was a country preacher and a cowboy, my Uncle Dow was soft-hearted. He couldn't stand to see anything suffer. So Uncle Dow threw himself over the fence into the dipping vat, full of diesel and insecticide. And he grabbed hold of that calf, and he swum that calf to safety, to where that calf could be rescued and get on higher ground. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. He comes in, he grabs hold of us, and he leads us to his higher ground. That's why there's that old hymn, Lord, lift me up to higher ground. By the way, funny thing about Uncle Dow, he never had any ticks after that. Look at this beautiful language. Here is God grabbing hold of you. And if God grabs hold of you, what can break his grip? Nothing. Nothing. And, and even though the foes that you can't defeat, even though there are forces in your life that you are not powerful enough to overcome, God says, no, 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 I am more powerful than anything that wants to drown you. Don't you remember, we talked about this last week, how David was in this position where he felt entangled in the cords of death and how he was drowning, God grabbed hold of him and saved him. And then God brings him up to this great language. God brings him up and God is his support. The word support there means staff, like a shepherd's staff. And God leads him to a broad place. And that word broad place is the same word you find in Psalm 23. You remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. It's the same word as broad spaces. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And don't you remember a, a little later on where David says in that psalm, my rod, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If you've ever had a bum knee, and you need something to lean on. You understand this. That God has shown up and he saves you, but he doesn't leave you. He leads you to a better place, a place of safety and security. And when you go through times and you feel weak, you can lean on him. Why does God do all this? I mean, why, why does God... Why does God react emotionally when something happens to us? Why does God begin to move? Why does God show up? Why does God save us? The last line of verse 19. God reacts because he delights in you. He delights in you. Look at that passage. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The word delight means to take pleasure in, to enjoy. God enjoys your company. 
That's hard to believe sometimes, especially if you heard voices from parents or you heard voices from teachers or coaches or bosses, sometimes even friends, who have said something to you like, you just get on my nerves. Or, you'll never amount to anything. Or, can you just leave me alone? Our God does not say that. He says he enjoys you. And and you think about it, that is pretty amazing on his part because sometimes I don't think I'm a very enjoyable person. And I bet sometimes you think you're not a very enjoyable person because let's be honest, sometimes you're not a very enjoyable person, right? So how amazing is the Father's love for you? That he delights in you. Do you remember Sally Field, actress, when she won her second Academy Award for Places in the Heart and she held up her trophy? You remember this? And she said, you like me. You really like me. Today, I want all of you to understand that that's a great prayer. God, you like me. You really like me. That God does not have to grit his teeth and go, okay, I love you that God delights in you. Edward Farrell is is a priest in uh, Detroit and had a lot of family back in Ireland. And he went on a, a trip back because his only surviving uncle was turning 80 years old. And uh, when his uncle, uh, morning of his uncle's 80th birthday, both he and Ed uh, got up real early before sunrise and they, they just went for a walk in the beautiful Irish dawn. They were walking beside Lake Killarney. I've never been to Ireland, but I'm just told it is beautiful. And it just has this greenery, it's this incredible, incredible environment. And they're watching the beauty of the day unfold on the uncle's 80th birthday, and the uncle begins to skip. Do you remember skipping? Some of you, it's been a very long time. I think I last skipped when I was eight. And Ed thought maybe his uncle had kind of gone around the bend. You know, an 80-year-old man skipping. And his uncle began to sort of sing out loud a kind of a nonsensical tune. And he began to sing, Ah, the Father of Jesus is very fond of me. What a great thing to know at your 80th birthday. The Father of Jesus is very fond of me. That God is our rescuer, not because he has to be, but because he's fond of us, he loves us, he delights in us. And so when you cry out to your heavenly Father, no, no, that he has an emotional reaction on your behalf and that he he begins to move toward you and he shows up for the battle and he saves you because he delights in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Thank you for delighting in me and delighting in all of us. It is so easy to lose sight of this. Today, help us not just to be reminded, but help this to seep deeper into our souls. For anyone, Father, who has never embraced Jesus, I pray that today they would just get a different picture of what it means to give their lives to you. It means to experience your delight. And so, Father, draw every one of us closer to Jesus and help people who've never taken that next step to accept him to take that step today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.